You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. gospel is about an unlikely marriage between the most perfect bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and the most unlovely and unlikely bride, anybody who says yes to the new covenant. Thank God I did. Hopefully you have. And we saw illustrated the gospel last week in Hosea, where Hosea is told to take an unlovely bride, a wife of harlotry. And that's the gospel story in the book of Hosea. In today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that the story of the gospel is based on a concept we all know and understand, marriage. The gospel is the story of the marriage between the best groom anyone could hope for and the bride that no one really wants. Christ is the groom. He paid the sacrifice for us to be allowed this perfect union. The church as a whole is his bride. On the earth, he cares for his bride as a husband should, but he'll come to take his bride to be with him in the last days. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark chapter two, as he continues his message, The New Covenant. Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, is where we are. Verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they'll fast. He's talking about himself as the bridegroom. Jump down now to verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions, so he violated the law. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Son of Man, reference to Messiah, Jesus himself. He's saying the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's proven as the Son of Man, he has authority to forgive sins because uh, we looked just earlier in chapter 2, he heals a paralytic uh, because he had said to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law are there, and they're thinking, who does, he think, who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus said, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority. He said to the paralytic, take your mat, go home. Took his mat, go ho- goes home. Now he says the Son of Man has authority 
over the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now, what we have in these two controversial situations, the bridegroom is there, the disciples aren't fasting like the Pharisees and like John's disciples. Uh, And Jesus says, it's not appropriate now to fast because the bridegroom is here. He's come to seek a bride. And when there's a wedding, uh, that's the last place in the world you want to fast is at a wedding. And then how about the disciples, the kernels of grain, they broke the Sabbath. And then Jesus says, well, David broke the Sabbath too, back under the law. Son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so what we saw last week to bring us up to speed for today is evidence in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament scriptures of a violation of the law, more than one. We looked at some last week. Uh, Violation of the law that was ordained by God. Why? Because the new covenant is revealed in the old covenant. And Jesus is talking about the new covenant when he says in verses 21 and 22, uh, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, you pour new wine into new wineskins. And what he's saying there is you don't mix the old covenant with the new covenant. I've come to institute the new covenant. We're going to talk about that today. But you see the old covenant revealing the new covenant, a righteousness from God apart from law. Law is the old covenant. has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. It's seen in the old covenant. God testified to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus, his disciples aren't fasting because it's not appropriate time to fast. There will be an appropriate time even under the new covenant to fast when the bridegroom is taken from them, the cross. Then of course the ascension, he's back in heaven now. But when he came and what he instituted, no, he's come pouring out grace and he's looking for a bride, bridegroom looking for a bride, not an appropriate time to fast. The gospel is about an unlikely marriage between the most perfect bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and the most unlovely and unlikely bride, anybody who says yes to the new covenant. Thank God I did. Hopefully you have. And we saw illustrated uh, the gospel last week in Hosea, where Hosea is told to take an unlovely bride, a wife of harlotry. And that's the gospel story in the book of Hosea. We especially want to focus today on the illustrations Jesus used in verses 21 and 22 of Mark chapter 2, the patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, etc., um, and the new wine and new wineskins. Don't put a... So what he's saying is you don't mix the two. You don't mix the two. And unfortunately, we have people that are trying to mix the two. And so I'm just taking us all the way back into the old covenant. Uh, it's fresh for me because I just dealt with a fellow that used to be a part of our fellowship. Uh, just so happens he was on the Super Bowl champion uh, Bucks team. He got in trouble later in life. He went to prison. After prison, he was in work release, and he was in work release right down the road. He became part of our church. He's now moved back to Orlando, and I've been dealing with him because he has bought into this teaching that it's absolutely false teaching and it's a guy, I can't pronounce his name. It's not the guy's real name. It's Nakala Ha Malakwath. He gave himself that name. Uh, he leads a group called the Gathering of Christ Church. 
and he's teaching a false gospel and he's leading people in a false gospel and this guy has bought into it and I'm grieved and I'm angry. People in our fellowship that have followed a movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement also taking us back into the Old Covenant and and, and it grieves me and I'm mad. You say, you're mad. You're mad? Paul the Apostle wrote, who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? It's a righteous indignation. You're not so much mad at the people, even though sometimes you're mad at them. You should have known better. You're mad at the deceptive spirits. You're mad at hell. You're mad at Satan. And it's a shame. And that's the last negative thing you'll hear this morning, I think. Maybe. No promises. You don't mix the old covenant with the new covenant. Jesus made it very clear. And I can't think of a better book in the Bible to go to to help us understand this and appreciate it than the book of Hebrews. So go with me to Hebrews and lock in first to Hebrews chapter 8. Now find the place. Don't start reading yet because I want to give you a a summary understanding of the book of Hebrews. We need to understand uh, to understand. It's written to a Jewish audience. That's why it's called Hebrews. Okay? Written to a Jewish audience with a Jewish mindset. And it's meant to prove that the new covenant is much better than the old covenant. And so he starts off in chapter 1 and he quotes seven Old Testament scriptures. Proving that Jesus is greater than the angels. Why would he do that? Because the angels mediated the old covenant, the covenant of law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 tells us that. The angels mediated the old covenant. So he proves that Jesus is greater than the angels. Then in chapter 3, the writer by the Holy Spirit proves that Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses is the one, the man that received the old covenant, the law there on Mount Sinai. So he proves that Jesus is greater than Moses. Then you have this lengthy section till you get to chapter 8, talking about a mysterious fellow named Melchizedek, and that the Messiah, who the writer says is Jesus, and Jesus the Messiah is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. You see Melchizedek, Genesis chapter 14, Abraham comes back from the defeat of the kings that have uh, kidnapped his nephew Lot, God gives them the victory, and then he meets this fellow named Melchizedek. He's king of Salem. Salem means peace, so he's king of peace. He's also, Genesis 14 says, priest of God most high, which is interesting because under the law, you couldn't be a priest and a king. One or the other, you couldn't be both. So this is a unique fellow. Abraham gives him a tenth of the spoils. When you give a tenth, that's representation of the whole. That's why everybody ought to tithe of your income. Because you're saying it's all yours, God. I wouldn't have any of it without you. So Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth. And his whole section proves that Jesus, after the order of Melchizedek, is greater than Aaron, the priest, under the Old Testament law. All right? Because he's after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a fellow, king of Salem, king of peace, He's priest of God most high. He's also king of righteousness. And he brings out to Abraham bread and wine. I wonder what that means. And he serves Abraham bread and wine. Psalm 110 verse 4 
prophesied that Jesus or the, the Messiah would be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, something else about Melchizedek. He's without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life. In other words, he's eternal. Melchizedek is Christ, who became Jesus, the Christ. Jesus is his earthly name. Christ is his title. He's Messiah. Christ means Messiah. And he's after the order of Melchizedek, this figure, this guy who met Abraham, and it was Christ. And the whole of Hebrews is the old covenant done away with, and the new covenant through Jesus. He's the mediator of the new covenant. He said to his disciples, take and drink this, eat this. This is the new covenant. In chapter 8, verse 7, one verse For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Then it goes on to say, but God found fault with the people. What what was the fault? They broke the old covenant. You think it surprised God? God knew they'd break the old covenant. Why? They can't keep it. What's the foundation of the old covenant? Ten commandments. Anybody kept them? Nobody has. Only one person kept them. That's Jesus. So, new covenant. Because something was wrong with the old covenant. Now, listen carefully. The wrongness of the old covenant had nothing to do with that old covenant's morality. Nothing wrong with the law. Paul says the law is spiritual. He said, but I'm unspiritual. So nothing wrong. The wrongness of the law is not with its morality. It's with its insufficiency to do for us what we need. Romans, Paul writes, what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. What does that mean? Practically speaking, the sinful nature. The law was weakened by the sinful nature. In other words, the law comes and we can't keep it. And so it's powerless to do for us. It says, do this and don't do this, and yet we fail. It's powerless to, to do for us what we need because we're weak in our sinful nature. We fail. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be, catch this, fully met in us. Now, I want to give you a little tidbit, very important tidbit. False teachers who try to take us back to the old covenant, or at least mix the new covenant with the old covenant. One of the verses they will quote It's where Christ said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. And they will use that as one of their proof texts to try to say, see there, we're still under the law. Still ought to have a kosher diet or whatever they're teaching. They they try to use that as a proof text. That verse means exactly what it said, but not what they say it means. Christ did fulfill the law. He said, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He did fulfill the law, and he's the only human being that ever has. And he took our sin, and we get his righteousness. We'll get into more of that. I want to look at 10 characteristics of the old covenant and 10 characteristics of the new covenant. And we've got to do it fairly quickly, but hopefully you'll catch it. Now, if you don't have a good Bible background, and I understand some people here don't. I understand. Maybe you just got saved. Maybe you just became part of a, uh, the church. I understand that. So at some points, it may be a little muddy for you. Uh, when you start to sink, hang on. We'll try to pull you back up. All right? But a lot of information. The old covenant could never declare us righteous. Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous, God says, by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
We know we're sinners because we know we, we violated it. Can never make us righteous. No matter how hard we try and how sincere we are. Oh, I want to do good. <laughs> yeah, so don't we all. Good luck. Don't never declare you're righteous. You'll never measure up. Old covenant is a regular reminder of sin. Hebrews 10.3 says the old covenant sacrifices are an annual reminder. Now, it's interesting he says annual because under the old covenant, you had all kinds of sacrifices, all kinds of sacrifices. You had daily sacrifices. You had monthly sacrifices. You had sacrifices connected with the seven feasts that God um, gave through the law. You have all these sacrifices. And then there was one. It's the most solemn feast of the year. It's the Day of Atonement. It's a one-for-all, all-for-one sacrifice that after you've done all these other sacrifices throughout the year, it's like, okay, let's do all one-for-all, all-for-one. And the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. If the blood is accepted, sacrifice is acceptable, then he comes back out and he says, it is finished. But what he means is it's finished till next year. Then you go by right back into the routine the next day. Sacrifices, next month, sacrifices, next feast, sacrifices. And then you come back again to the Day of Atonement. And he goes in, and he does it right again. And the sacrifice is accepted in. He comes back out, and he says, it's finished. But what he means is it's finished till next year. And it's just one day and month and year after another, and all you're being reminded of is we just are messed up. It just is an annual reminder, and that's why it says an annual reminder, Hebrews 10.3, because it's talking about you come to the Day of Atonement, one for all, all for one, and then you go back and you're doing it all over again until you come back again to the Day of Atonement. And you're always being reminded, you stink, you messed up, man. And so you have a guilty conscience. And Hebrews 10 says that the Old Testament sacrifices could never clear the conscience of the worshiper. You do everything by the book. You do everything right in terms of the sacrifice, and you still come away and you feel guilty. You feel dirty. Please get this one. Oh, if you get this one, please see this. Oh, Lord, help them to see it. All those regulations, all those feasts, the kosher diet, the circumcision, all that was external regulations. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 10, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order, the new covenant. External. Here's the deal. They they were ordained by God under the law, but everything physical had a spiritual reality. It spoke of something spiritual. So it did you no good. And this is this is very hard. This was very difficult for even the apostles to really get a handle on. Because what did they argue about? Places like Acts 15. I'm talking the church, leaders of the church. Arguing over whether belief in Jesus is enough. No. Some people say, no, you you believe in Jesus, but you also got to be circumcised. You got to believe in Jesus, but but hey, don't touch the bacon. You got to keep the kosher diet. That's what God gave us. That's what Moses handed down. Wait a minute, we got to keep that. And they had a hard time getting a hold of this. Some people today have a hard time getting a hold of this. They're external regulations. Brought you no closer to God to be circumcised. Brought you you no closer to God to observe the Sabbath day. 
Ooh, you just blasphemed. I did not. Hang with me. External regulations and their shadows of greater reality. Shadows. Crazy illustration, but it, it fits. My shadow is right there. My shadow from the light. Imagine, imagine if I've been away from my wife on ministry trip, mission trip or something like that, and, and I come back and I see her shadow. And I go, oh, honey. And I go rush for her shadow, her shadow and go to embrace the shadow. Well, that gives me a lot of warm fuzzies. You say, how stupid? That's stupid. But people that try to embrace the old covenant now, it's a shadow. You're trying to embrace a shadow, not the reality of what the shadow speaks of. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. That's why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you, because you're making something physical, but it has a, another reality. You're making something earthly, but it has a heavenly counterpart. Shadows. Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread, tabernacles, day of atonement, new moon celebration, Sabbath days, shadows. Okay? You got to get this. If you don't get this, you, 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 you don't get it. The priests under the old covenant were inferior. Hebrews tells us that they had to offer sacrifices for themselves, for their own sins, and for the people. For themselves and for the people. And they went through the same thing they went, that the people went through. You know, they go through all the sacrifices to do the Day of Atonement. High priest goes in. Even the high priest himself, he's the high priest. He's still feeling like the people. Something just not right. Inferior priest. And they offered inferior sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Same chapter. Verse 11, day after day, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Inferior. I'll tell you one other thing about the old covenant. It was exclusive. What do I mean by that? Herod's temple, eastern gate. You come in, this area right here, all right? That's the court of women. But you can't get in just, to, just if you're a woman. You've got to be a Jewish woman. That's the only way you can get in there. This area back here, this is the labor of washing. You can't see it. The, the altar where the priests made the sacrifices. This is the temple proper itself. Uh, there's the holy place you go into. There's a curtain that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. Holy of holies represents where God dwells. That's where his throne is. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was with the mercy seat. That's where the pr priest would on the Day of Atonement sprinkle the sacrifice on the mercy seat and come back out. In here, in this section, if you're a Jewish man and you're living a kosher life and you're circumcised, you can go in here if there's room, and you actually watch the priest offering the sacrifice. I mean, you're close. You're close to, to the throne of God. You're a Gentile. You don't even get by these walls. You're a Gentile. You're out here, dude. Nice seating, huh? And some Gentiles couldn't even get in, couldn't even get in there. If you're a leper, 
If you're a eunuch, you could be a Jewish eunuch. You can't get in. It was exclusive. Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Mark on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well to stay up to date with the latest teachings and videos. Feel free to share them with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're in the St. Petersburg area, join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. There's more to learn in the book of Mark. Pastor Danny will continue looking into this important gospel book right here on The Living Word.